Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. We are starting our four-week series on mission. Um, and so this week we're going to talk about being an empowered witness and what that means. And we'll get into that in a little bit. And then for the next two weeks we're going to talk about racial reconciliation in our city. And we're going to meet at Park Street, like I've said. And the, the two series are kind of the, the road behind us and the road in front of us. Uh, as we talk about racial reconciliation here in our city. We're going to talk about the road behind us and the road in front of us, and then uh, finally we'll come back here for the fourth week, and we'll talk about um, how we've been created for a time such as this, and we'll get to look at the story and life of Esther and how God used Esther uh, in a specific time to fulfill the mission that God had for her. And so this morning, if you guys would, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 1. Um, that's where our reading is going to come from. It's going from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And uh, then we're going we're gonna to read that and then specifically focus on verse 8. Acts 1, <laughs> verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Until that day he was taken up. And after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit and to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on to him, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taking up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we get to come together and to look into your word and to worship you in your goodness and in your grace and in your hope and your life for us, God. God, we thank you for the power that you've given us through your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that we would walk in that uh, this week as we go. In your name we pray. Amen. And so this morning, like I said, we're going to look at verse 8 specifically. And so verse 8 says, But you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, and all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And this is the vision for mission here at Damascus Road Church. So this is kind of where we're going. It's kind of a, a vision of mission for the next four weeks here at Damascus Road, how we as a church view mission and plan to execute mission moving forward. And so uh, ver everything that we do is going to come from this verse 8 of Acts. And so the first thing that we see, we see three things in, in this verse. And the first is that we receive power. The second is that we are called to be a witness. And third, we are called to go. 
to go to the ends of the earth. And so those are the three places that we are going to look at this morning. And the first one is that we have received power from the Holy Spirit. That's how the verse opens up. It says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this power from the Holy Spirit that we receive as Christians, it says that it has come and has tabernacled himself inside of us. It has come and has come to live inside of us. And it is the same power that has raised Christ up from the dead. It is the same power that shook Mount Sinai when Moses received the law. It's the same power that filled Solomon's temple with glory and smoke and fire. It's the same power that touched Isaiah's lips and made him clean and allowed him to become a bold prophet for the nation of Israel. This is the type of power that's coming to us in the Holy Spirit, that's coming to live inside of us. And it is in this power that is the beginning of mission. And this power comes from no other source than from Jesus Christ himself, from Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. It's through him that we are able to receive his power and his grace and his love. It is this power that's come to rest inside of us so that the nations might be blessed. And that's the command that we've been given from the very beginning, is that Abraham would become a nation, and that he would become a light for all of the nations. And Jesus comes and says, I've made you a light so that you might be a light to all of the nations. We're talking about the same spirit, the same power, the same mission. But instead of the power being centralized in a temple or in a priest or in a king, it has been spread out among all of us, and it's been filled up inside each and every one of us. And so we get to receive that and walk in that um, because Jesus has empowered us. Now, a lot of times we might have a hard time thinking of the Holy Spirit as power. We talked a little bit about this last week. We, in our culture, in our, in our society, we kind of wince at power. We kind of have a mistrust of power. And especially when we talk about power in the church, we've seen the, the church use power and use the name of Jesus to execute its power in ways that has brought division and strife and a lot of death and a lot of suffering to a lot of people. But this is what the text says. It says that we're going to receive power. And the reality around power is that it's amoral. A lot of times we want to think as power being used in, as a negative moral implication. That people of power are going to be corrupt. And that power corrupts absolutely. But that's not the case. That's not what we see in Jesus. Because Jesus held the power of the universe. He holds all things together. And his hope and vision for us and for life is that he would make all things new again, that he would reconcile all things and put everything back into its right place. And so our perception of power has been warped by our own brokenness. But the power that comes from the Holy Spirit is not that type of power. It's a power that brings life instead of death. It's a power that brings joy instead of sorrow. It brings <laughs> peace instead of strife. It brings patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And so that's how you can know, am I exacting the power of the Holy Spirit, or, or am I exacting my own earthly, fleshly, I'm just and I want to do what I want power? Because normally if, it's, I, it's, normally if I'm exacting my power, it's going to bring some type of destruction. It's going to bring some type of disunity or discord. But if it comes from the power 
of the Holy Spirit, man, there's going to be life. Life is going to come exploding from that. We saw that last week with Peter and John and how they healed the man in front of the temple steps. And so just know that power is amoral. It's a tool. It's a tool that can be used for both good and bad. And the Holy Spirit has come that it might be used for good in all of the right ways. And so we need to become more readily present to this power that is the Holy Spirit. And uh, what's exciting is that after this mission series, we're going to do a series leading into Christmas that is specifically on the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to get deeper into this issue of power and this issue of the Holy Spirit and how do we walk in the Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Um, We're going to be talking about that as we lead up to Christmas. The author of Hebrews even encourages us to become present to this this power and become present to the Spirit and that we be confident in it. And he says this, he says, Take care, my brothers, lest there be any evil or unbelieving in your heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But encourage one another every day for as long as it's called today so that none of you might be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden his hearts. Do not harden your hearts if you hear his voice. And so we believe that the Holy Spirit is both powerful and is also able to speak to us, speak directly to us. And I think we all know when the Spirit's speaking because sometimes it can be like really uncomfortable. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable and be calling us to do something that we don't necessarily want to do, but when we're honest about it, we're like, man, that would, that would bless someone. That would make someone's day better. That would, but man, it would really inconvenience me. And here the author of Hebrews is saying, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart against that. But go and walk in it. Go and walk in the uncomfortableness of it. The reality is that we need to, if we're going to be a church that's on mission, we need to begin answering the call when we feel and hear the Spirit's voice calling us to be on mission and to, to bless other people. Being on mission is, is a position of the heart. It's an attitude that is open to the power of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, there were three different places of power that power was centralized. There were prophets, there were priests, and there were kings. And the kings had power, the prophets had power to speak over God. <laughs> And then the prophet, yeah, prophets, priests, and the priests had power over uh, the people as well as they followed the faith. Every kind of culture has had prophets, priests, and kings, and they kind of hold the seats of power. But in the New Testament, the Spirit comes and says, I'm going to empower you, and I'm actually going to make you a priesthood. I'm going to make you enable to have the gift of being able to be a prophet. And we even have this gift of kind of being a king, of being able to organize things and execute organization well. And so Peter tells us that in this place of power, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you might proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so Jesus has saved us, redeemed us. He's conquered death. His Spirit has come in us, and He's come in to us for a purpose. And that purpose is so that we might proclaim the excellence of our God, proclaim the excellence 
of our King and to be able to share that with the people around us. And so the second point this morning, the first one is that we are filled with power. And we need to become present with that. The second point this morning is that we are called to be his witness. We are called to be his witness. We are called to go and do this, proclaiming the excellence of the God who called us out of darkness and into light. And being a witness has two parts. There's two parts to being a witness. Uh, the first part is that you have to see. If you're going to witness anything, you kind of have to see it. You kind of have to hear it. You have to observe it. You have to take it in. But then the second part of being a witness is that you have to be able to go out and tell someone about it. You have to be able to go and tell someone. Seeing it enough is not enough to become a witness. It is this telling that makes you a witness. There's not much help in a witness that goes up to the witness stand and refuses to share what they have seen, refuses to tell what they have seen. But man, I don't know about you, but have you ever witnessed anything that you just couldn't help but tell someone about? You're just like, this was so great. I think we do it all the time, and we do it even in like small ways. We'll be like, hey, have you checked out that restaurant lately? Like you went to that restaurant, you had amazing food, and you just tell someone about it. You're being a witness to that restaurant and that food. We do it with sports all the time. I mean, yesterday I watched the Badgers win, and that was exciting. I watched the Cubs win, and that was exciting. For the first time in 71 years, the Cubs are going to the World Series. Um, and Ohio State lost to Penn State, which was awesome. <laughs> and so I was just now a witness to you to everything that I saw, and you guys know what my Saturday consisted of. Um, <laughs> it consisted of a lot of work, but the TV was on in the background. Um, but that's being a witness. It's, it's seeing and it's telling. It's seeing and it's telling. And I think that in a lot of our lives, we, we see things and we experience things that we get really excited about, and then we just have to overflow and tell other people about. And I hope that the gospel is one of those things in our lives. The gospel should be one of those things in our lives that we have seen and heard from Christ in powerful and amazing in miraculous ways that we just can't help but tell other people about him. And say, my life was once this way, but God, this. I once didn't have this, but God, now God has given me this. I once had no peace, but now I have peace. And so the first part to the seeing and hearing is really passive. It's really passive. And I think we're really good at seeing and hearing. I think the hard part comes, especially when it comes to the gospel, this part of telling. And this part of telling comes in two parts. It comes in serving, and it comes in sharing. So in telling, there's serving and sharing. We tell people about the gospel through our actions, through the extended meal train, through <laughs> paying for someone's meal, for leaving a generous tip. We, we exude the gospel. But the Bible also tells us that we can't just use our actions to perpetuate the gospel, but that we must also hear that faith comes through hearing. And so we also have to be ready to have opportunities to share and to share unabashedly. You know, whenever I go to someone that's a stranger and I tell them about a restaurant that I enjoyed, I'm really not thinking about, you know, what type of food they like. 
I just want them to know, hey, this is a good restaurant, you know. And, you know, if you like this type of food, you might like it too. And I think that the same is true for the gospel. We have to become, I feel like there's some shame in us that we don't want to go share the gospel because we're afraid of the perceptions that they might hold. That they might be like, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you're trying to push your faith on me? When in reality, you just have to say, look, I experienced this thing, and it was amazing, and it's through Jesus. Um, that's where I attribute it to, and I just, I just thought you would like to know about that, you know, and, and leave it at that. But we need to be able to go and share. We need to be able to go and share <laughs> with our friends and with our family because this telling part of being a witness is both. It's both the service and sharing. We don't get to choose one and say, oh, I was a witness, but we need to be able to do both. We need to be able to serve and to share. And so the question for us this morning is, what have you seen and heard? What have you seen and heard in your life because of Christ? Have you seen and heard of the resurrection? I hope that as the church that we have, and that we believe that, that we want to be a witness to that. That's what Jesus is calling the disciples to in this specific passage, is that, hey, you've seen me dead, and you've seen me alive again. Go share that. Go share the things that I've taught you before. Go share the things that I'm teaching you now. How do we receive the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How can we tell people, I was once this, and now I'm this? And then the other question is, is, how is God continuing to reveal himself to you? How is he teaching you new things? It's cool. I was in the car with Jonathan the other day, and he's like, Justin, I read Hebrews the other day, and he's like, I feel like I get it now. He's like, I feel like I get how Jesus is our royal priesthood. He's like, I feel like I get how Jesus has taken our place as the great high priest. He's like, I used to think that, I used to have this disconnect as to why we're not Jewish. And he's like, but I read, you know, and that, it was such a cool conversation of him sharing. But we can go and share that not just with other fellow Christians and believers, but we can share that with our friends and our families and our coworkers and how we live by grace, how we don't always have to put the nose to the grindstone, how our value comes from not our work and our paycheck, how our value comes from something far higher and far greater. And so my question is, is how is God calling us to be a witness? How is God calling you to be a witness to the things that you have seen and heard? third point is that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been filled with power. We've seen and heard these amazing things from God. And then the final thing is that we need to go and tell it. We need to go and share it. And we need to go share it in these four places. And the four places that the text tells us is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Those are the four places. That is kind of the, the map, the road map for the mission of Jesus Christ is for it to expand out of these places. And these places were physical, tangible locations. Jerusalem is where they're at. Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem until my spirit comes. And so they wait there for the Holy Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit comes in fire and transforms people's lives. People that were bold and that were denying Jesus just a month before are now giving sermons, are now sticking their neck on the line, willing to be put into prison because of who Jesus is, because of this power. So this power comes and transforms. And it says that it should move from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Judea is the surrounding area around Jerusalem. So it would be kind of like the state. 
but think much smaller. I mean, Israel is really small, so it's probably like the size of Dane County. Um, and then it says to Samaria, and so Samaria was just north of Judea, and Samaria were kind of like the half-breeds. They're the half-breed Jews. And I don't know if you guys remember the story of the woman at the well, but Jesus, the text says in John that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He just had to. And on his way through Samaria, the disciples go and leave, and he's sitting at the woman at this well with this woman. It's a Samaritan woman. And she's just blown away that Jesus, as a Jew, would be talking to her. Because the Jews at this time were hostile towards the Samaritans because the Samaritans in early Jewish history sinned earlier, were conquered earlier, and were kind of forced into taking um, <laughs> wives from other tribes around the world. And uh, the people of Judah remained holy and followed the law just a little bit longer um, and saw the Samaritans as kind of these half-breeds of people because they violated God's law and had offspring that weren't Jewish offspring. And so there's kind of this cultural tension between the two. The Jews kind of exiled this entire branch of their family and says, you don't belong here because you violated God in this way. And there became this cultural, long-standing division between the two groups. And so Jesus' roadmap for his mission for Christianity says, hey, start in your city, move out to your area, and then go to the place that you're uncomfortable going. Go to the places that you might actually find yourself morally opposed to them, or you might think of yourself as morally superior to them. Go to them and serve them. Go and serve your enemy, is what Jesus is saying. That's where Samaria is. And then finally it says, go to the outermost. And it's in this place that I want to talk about mission and how it relates to us personally and how it relates to us corporately. Because it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. There, we are individuals called to be a witness to Jesus. We have individually experienced Christ together, but we have also experienced Christ collectively as a whole. We worship together, we pray together, we do life together in each other's homes, and so there's this collective experience that we have of our faith. But there's also the individual part where Jesus has transformed us in intimate and personal ways, and we've been called to be a witness in both places. We're this body that is counter-cultural. We're a body that has come together and said that we're going to forsake worship of greed, sex, money, and power, and instead worship the one who is able to bring fulfillment in our lives in all of these things, the one true King, Jesus. And so mission is both and. We don't get to do mission corporately and just say, oh, the church is providing a program, we're going to check a box, and I, I did my mission for the week. But we also don't get to stray away and say, well, I'm only going to do individual mission. I'm going to be on mission on my life, and I'm not going to invite the rest of this church body and community into it. And so what we have is both this individual mission and this corporate mission. And so what's beautiful is that the church provides opportunity for mission in places where individual mission might not exist otherwise. And the cool thing is that God has also individually called you and I to specific places of mission in our own relationships that the church would not be able to do mission otherwise. And so both in the corporate and in the individual, God is on mission, and he's here to spread his kingdom. But I want you to know that it's both. That mission exists both corporately and individually. 
and that we don't get to go rogue, and we don't get to do mission completely on our own, but we also don't get to just blame the church, lean on the church, and say, well, I'm not on mission because the church hasn't provided me a program yet. We don't get to do that. Instead, what we do is we get to hear how God is talking to us individually and possibly bring some of those places where God is speaking to us individually to go and serve as a body corporately. One of the examples of that is Operation Christmas Child. Julie Wetker has a passion for international missions. She has a heart to see children discipled around the globe for the kingdom of God. Before Julie came to me and was like, hey, we should do Operation Christmas Child, Damascus Road wasn't doing Operation Christmas Child on both either the Park Street side nor the west side. But Julie was like, hey, let's do Operation Christmas Child. I was like, all right, let's do it. And now we have the entire church, both Park Street and West, doing Operation Christmas Child so that kids around the globe could receive Christmas presents and be able to be discipled into who Jesus is. And so that's how this kind of marrying of both individual mission and corporate mission come together. But also note there are places probably in Julia's life where she is called to go serve her workplace, her neighbors, her family, in ways that we as the church will never be invited to go to. So we have to operate out of both. We have to operate out of both. And so we're called to mission together, both individually and corporately, in four areas. And the first area is Jerusalem. The first area is Jerusalem. And so our congregation, we have identified Jerusalem as our city, as Verona, as Madison, as kind of the greater Madison, Verona, Fitchburg, Middleton area is where our kind of Jerusalem is. <laughs> and um, the things that we're doing in Jerusalem currently are the meal train, both Park Street and West. We are unified in doing meal trains, providing meals. Here at West, we've taken that strength and we are going out and we're serving our greater Jerusalem by inviting friends and family to receive meals from us. And we do this together as one church. We also have partnered with Wright Middle School, um, which is a block away from the Park Street location. But I want us to see Wright Middle School as not just Park Street School. I want us to be able to see Wright Middle School as a place where we can all get involved. And I know that we've done things with local Verona schools in the past. And I'm more than willing and open to be able to, to open that conversation and dive into serving Verona area schools or, or area, Madison area schools that are really close to us that are in great need. I'm very much open to that. But moving forward as a community, wherever we serve, we want to be able to say both sides, both east and west, can serve in this mutually together. And so I'm, I've signed up to tutor at Wright Middle School. I'm going to be starting next week, Tuesday, and I invite anyone that has the time or the space to be able to do that to, uh, to come along with me. I can get you connected to the principal, um, and we can together, as one church, one body, serve Wright Middle School. And we do that corporately, but guess what? Once I step into that tutoring session, once I step in and start serving kids, that mission moves from this corporate place to this very individual place, where I'm engaging with these students, where I'm creating relationships with these students that will hopefully last the entire year, and maybe even into the next year as they move into the next grade 
And hopefully there's a place where they don't need tutoring anymore, but hopefully there's a place where in that tutoring I can invite them to our, our student or youth group ministry at Damascus Road Church. But also know that we're looking for greater opportunities other than schools to serve in. The question is, is where is God speaking to you? Where is God calling you to serve? Where is God calling you on mission? Where has his spirit with power calling you to move? And if you feel like it's a place where you can't do it on your own and you need to invite the body into it, come talk to me and let's have a conversation. And let's see about broadening our, our horizons around doing mission here in our Jerusalem. The second place that we do mission is in Judea, and that's our kind of our greater region. And the one way that we're doing this corporately is through our <laughs> kind of our partnering connection with Converge Worldwide. And Converge Worldwide is a church planning organization. They're kind of also an overseeing organization. And so it's who Damascus Road is most affiliated with. And they plant churches in our area. And um, there's actually an exciting church plant that's happening inside of Madison um, coming in the coming months. Uh, there's a deaf church planter coming to Madison. Madison has zero deaf churches. Um, and the entire deaf community kind of gets left Behind. We have churches for all different types of people, all different types of backgrounds, but the, the deaf community, the church has not been incredibly friendly towards, and, and so this guy is coming to plant a deaf church. And he's coming from Milwaukee, where there are a couple deaf churches. He's coming from Milwaukee to Madison. So we, as Damascus Road Church, as a corporate body, is supporting him financially, uh, monthly, as he plants his church. And we also do this with other local converged church plants. And so that's how we kind of corporately serve Judea. God might also be calling you to serve the greater area <laughs> in many different ways. You just have to have your ears open. The third place that we're called to serve is Samaria. And Samaria is, I think, best defined as doing mission in places that are most uncomfortable, in places that you would rather maybe not go. Maybe there are places where there's tension that exists between Two groups, And so as a church, we've identified kind of Samaria as this leaning into racial tension around this country and in our city because it exists and it's real and we need to be present to it as the church. And so we've, we've kind of identified that as the place of where we as a church are going to go and try to grow in not only just diversity for diversity's sake, but to grow in real conversations that lead to real life change and reconciliation. But personally, Samaria could look a lot different. Personally, Samaria could look like sharing the gospel, doing this, <laughs> this serving, sharing, telling to the guy in your office. The guy that annoys you the most in your office. It could look like serving and sharing and <laughs> witnessing to your next door neighbor because you're terrified to meet new people. And that's really uncomfortable. And that's, that's okay. You can be honest about that. A lot of times we say, oh, man, it's such a negative thing if, you, if you're so terrified to meet new people. Let's, let's be honest. Let's own that. And I know most of you in here, we do own that. And so God has called us to Samaria, and so we recognize that, that God is going to give us his power. He's going to give us his spirit to do the uncomfortable thing and talk to our neighbor that we don't know, that we don't have context with, that we might face rejection with, that then we have to live next to for years and years. But God is calling us to Samaria. He's calling us to places 
that are uncomfortable. He might even be calling you to this place of cross-cultural mission. Dennis, a couple weeks ago, was telling me about this firefighter, this ex-firefighter that has been called to a mission. In, it's in Haiti, right? Yeah. It's in Haiti to do weddings in Haiti because to get married in Haiti, you have to afford the wedding ceremony. The church requires that you afford the wedding ceremony, that you have this big shindig bash. And so what he's done is that he heard God call him out of Verona to go to Haiti to provide wedding ceremonies for people that couldn't afford them. And so he goes around and he collects stuff like wedding dresses and things that he can provide the, the big party for so that people can recognize it as an official wedding. And so he's trying to break through this cultural barrier, even though he knows it spiritually. I mean, he could go to Haiti and he could just preach and he could just demand, Haiti, you guys are missing the point. You guys need to become more spiritually um, opened and eyes open and just see that marriage is between man and a wife and, and this way. But instead he says, no, they're not at this place. He has grace on the culture and the people. And instead he meets them in this cultural context. And so maybe God's calling you to somewhere to do something like that. I mean, just a normal guy, Verona, called by God to go to Haiti. I'm sure he probably wasn't super excited about it. I don't know this guy at all. Maybe he was. Maybe he's always wanted to go to Haiti. But this is what this guy is doing. And he's having tough conversations because who wants to donate to a nonprofit that's going to go and buy wedding dresses for people that can't afford it? Like, There's a lot of other causes that people are like, yes, let's end child slavery. But this guy is like, no, let's get people married in Haiti. Let's, let's begin to rebuild the nuclear family in Haiti on mission towards Christ. And so that's what he's doing. So maybe your Samaria is somewhere to the ends of the earth. As a church and as a body, we do this by supporting Josh Montague. Josh Montague um, is a part of uh, training leaders internationally. He's leaving for Tanzania this Thursday. So if you guys could be in prayer for Josh, He's leading his family this Thursday to go serve leaders in Tanzania. Um, what an incredible experience. Training leaders internationally. They bring together people that want to be pastors, and they train them, and they send them back to their country to start churches and spread the mission of Jesus Christ. We also have this hope of growing internationally as a church. Um, we have a partnership uh, with the Tucci family down in Mexico. Uh, Tony Tucci's sister um, and husband own, they don't own, but they run an orphanage, a nonprofit orphanage down in Mexico, um, and they thrive on short-term missions. I know um, the church has kind of turned its nose up at short-term missions um, lately because we've seen that do more harm than good, but the Tucci family and the way this orphanage is run is, is designed specifically for short-term missions. And they've actually uh, felt the pinch and the squeeze because churches have Step, taking a step back away from short-term missions. And so uh, we want to be a church that steps into that and steps towards that um, and serves these orphans and widows in Mexico. And so uh, part of the youth program is that we would be able to take uh, teenagers and their families to Mexico to, to, for them to see and experience what God is doing. Because part of this being on mission, remember, is seeing. And so sometimes we just have to be honest about our mission trips and say, we're going to go see how God is moving and activating over here in this place. Because even though Mexico might feel like the ends of the earth to us, guess what Mexico is to the people that are in Mexico? It's their Jerusalem. And God is moving and active there as well. And so sometimes we just need to go somewhere else to see God moving so that we can come back and be a witness 
to our own Jerusalem and say, God is moving and he's living and he's active. And the beautiful thing about these physical places of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, is that we are in America right now, in Verona, Wisconsin, and when this commission was given, Verona wasn't even, wasn't even dreamed of yet, wasn't even thought of yet, but there's this mission to the ends of the earth, and here we are, we're worshiping together as one body. And so guess what? The mission worked. Like, it worked. And so we get to stand here. This isn't just a strategy that we hope exists and happens someday. But we're standing here in a realized manifestation of it. And we're encouraged to continue to go and walk that out. Finally, as a church, we are looking at a large kind of international trip beyond Mexico. We're looking at possibly doing a trip to uh, Senegal and Africa. I'm doing a program that Shannon is familiar with called an Adopt a Tribe. Um, and we'd be looking to create a long-term relationship with a tribe there that Shannon already has a relationship with uh, from his former church. Um, but right now, we are going to be sending a small, small team of people to go and just check that out and be like, and pray about that and be like, is this where God might be calling us to do long-term partnered missions? And if you want to be a part of that trip, Please come talk to me, and I can connect you with Shannon. Shannon would love to have you on that trip. So if you want to come to Senegal, we're going to Senegal. Um, I'm not going, but there's a team of people going in February. Um, if you'd like to be on that trip, please let me know, because we, we would love to have voices as a whole church saying, yes, Senegal is where we want to go. Yes, Senegal is where we feel like God is calling. Or we go to Senegal and we're like, no, I think God might be calling us somewhere else. And if that's the case, we come back and we say, nope, God's calling us somewhere else, and we do that. But I just want to let you guys know the opportunities that we might be having as a church as we look to grow in mission. And as far as what we do in Verona, as far as what we do in all of Madison, I think that's wide open. I think that's wide open. Right now, we have Wright Middle School, and we have the meal train. And I don't want to tap us out, but I think that there's a couple things that if God is speaking to you and you feel like we can invite the entire body to to go and do this thing, then let's start having those conversations. So just to summarize this morning, we've been given power by the Holy Spirit. We've been called to be a witness, to see, to serve, and to share. And we've been called to do that in these four areas of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so the question this morning is, where is God calling you? And in God calling you, where is God calling us? Because we need to do both. We need to do both. Would you guys close with me in prayer? Almighty and everlasting God in Christ, you have revealed your glory among the nations. May you preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith and confession in your name, that through Jesus Christ our Lord, that you reign and that you give us strength through your Holy Spirit, that there is one God forever and ever. Amen.